16, I, I had thought that I would get into some elements of um, prophecy, but yesterday morning I was kind of meditating on some of these things. And in 1 Samuel 16, I want to look at the anointing of David to be king. So we'll be in the Old Testament. And 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'll begin reading with verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? And Saul hear it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And Call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. So let's have a word of prayer. We'll start in on this. Father, we're grateful again for an opportunity to fellowship. It is wonderful to know you as our Lord and Savior, to know the Bible is truth, to know the scriptures speak directly to us. So this evening, give us all ears to hear. Help me to speak clearly. Open our eyes and our understanding. See how wonderful you are with your selection and your choice of people in the Bible to do your will. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're familiar with Israel's history, then you know that for a long time they did not have a king. They were what you call a theocracy. And God ruled them through various agents towards the end of this period in the promised land. God had a number of judges that he used. And these judges were given wisdom. Sometimes they go out and fight battles. Well, Samuel was one of these judges, and Samuel operated on a circuit. He had several cities that he went to, and he basically adjudicated specific problems between people, and he also brought the word of God and prophesied to people. Well, Samuel had a problem in that his children, his sons, were not holy. They were wicked. They were corrupt. They were taking bribes. They were doing things in the tabernacle they should not have done. And because of that, the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, look, it's not right that we continue this situation that we have with your sons in charge. In fact, your sons are wicked. He said, we want to be like the other countries. They have kings. Why can't we have a king? And it grieved Samuel that his sons were such a bad example, but it also hurt him that they had rejected his leadership. So he went to God and God said, it's not that they rejected you, they rejected me. And God said to Samuel that you need to lay it out for the people and tell them the kind of king that they'll have. They'll have a king that'll take their daughters. Their daughters will become wives for the soldiers. And for the king's men, he'll take their properties, confiscate their lands. They'll become estates for the soldiers and for other politicians working for the king. He said, the taxes will be high on you. They said, we don't care. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. So the Lord chose through supernatural miracles a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul's problem was that 
He, he was headstrong, he was stubborn, and he was rebellious. If God told Saul to take three steps, Saul would take one step and then ask, why do I have to take the other two? That's how Saul was. And Saul ended up in trouble with the Lord because he refused to handle a town the specific way God told him to. And because of that, Samuel came to him and said, look, the Lord has taken the kingdom from you and, and it's going to be in someone else's hands. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He became a very troubled character. And when you read the end of his life, you see that he's now cavorting with witches. And he's trying to get his future told by witches. And in the end, he tried to take his own life. He failed in trying to commit suicide. He commanded one of his soldiers to take his life, and so he died. After he died, the adversaries took his body and hung it up on the wall outside of the city and nailed it to the wall. The Israelites came and saw him hanging up there, and they brought his body down. They took his body and they burned it, and then they took the bones and buried the bones. That's how Saul's, Saul's life came to a pretty bad end. Where we're going to pick up here is in this period of time where Saul is being so rebellious that now God has said, I need another king, and I've rejected him, and this is where we begin with David. God has now selected David. He's telling Samuel in chapter 16, verse 1 of 1 Samuel, fill your horn with oil, and I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. See, the, the ram's horn was used for anointing people. They would pour oil into that, and then the man of God would come up to the person and pour that oil over. But before God could move Samuel, he had to say to Samuel, why and how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Well, it was breaking uh, Samuel's heart that God had rejected Saul. Samuel is the one that told Saul he's going to be king. Samuel is the one who anointed Saul. So to see God at work in somebody and then watch God turn away from them and then the Lord does not want to use you to choose somebody else to anoint them with oil, he was having a hard time turning his back on him the same way we would. Because if you've seen people who have been in ministry or doing something for the Lord, it's a, it's a bad thing when you see them go astray and then you say, there was a time when it seems like the anointing really was strong on him or her. That's the kind of language people use. He, he used to be so anointed when he sang. He's not so anointed now because of decisions that he's made. He's become a rebel, a rebel against the Lord. So Samuel, he has to go to Jesse. The Lord has already chosen who's going to be king. And he said in the last sentence of verse number one, I provided me a king among his sons. Jesse doesn't even know this conversation is taking place which is proof again in scripture that God makes decisions without consulting with us and God will choose you without asking you if you want to be chosen. He'll, he'll select you to do something great that's going to accomplish his will without him ever asking for your advice. He says, Samuel, go and get Jesse's family together. Now this, this is similar to... Uh, Saul. Remember, Saul was saved, and then God told Ananias to go to the home of the tanner, and then he said, lay your hands on Saul, for he prays, and then Saul's eyes were open, and, and he told Ananias, this man is going to stand before great kings for me. Ananias had insight into Saul's ministry and future that Saul may not have clearly understood himself, and this is what we have here. Samuel has an idea 
that something great's going to happen with someone else, but Jesse is clueless about it. So Samuel is in his concern. He says, Lord, if I go and anoint somebody else, you know that Saul is going to be angry and he'll kill me. Now, that tells you something about the mentality of Saul. Saul was so stubborn and in many regards so wicked that he would kill a prophet if he thought a prophet was coming up against him. No, you read the book of Kings and look at how many times one king slays another king. One queen gets involved with slaying another king and their sons. The point of that is we don't want any rivals for the throne. So this is how Mr. Saul was. He didn't want anyone that could possibly take his place. I had a friend of mine when when I was down in Baton Rouge working in the ministry there. And whenever I I didn't travel, I I worked uh, nights there in the ministry in security. And in the security department were several other people like myself who were former military. So there was this one gentleman, and uh, whenever we'd talk about people losing their job, because sometimes we'd have to escort people off the ministry grounds and all of that, he he said to me, he said, you know, Daryl, whenever somebody up in the office tells me, okay, you need to train this person to do your job, he said, I get nervous. And and so if, if, if he was supposed to, Take somebody out, and, and we had a bunch of keys, maybe 200 keys on a ring with all them buildings on all those acres. He said if he was supposed to take somebody to a particular building, he'd show them the wrong key. And he said d- d- during his, his shift, he said he'd make sure they went to all the wrong buildings. He said he was not trying to work himself out of his own job. He didn't want any rivals. And, and that's how Saul is. The jealousy in Saul is so great that Samuel himself says, Lord, if I go, this man is going to kill me. So the Lord said, you take you take a heifer and you call a feast and we're going to act like it's a big party and you're going to invite Jesse and his family. And when they come, then I'll show you what to do. So that's what he did. And and uh, then in verse number four, in his obedience, the elders saw him coming and they were a bit nervous. And they said, are you coming peaceably? Remember, he had a circuit. So if he showed up, they were wondering, are you coming to deal with the case or are you coming to to bring the word of the Lord to us? Sometimes the word of the Lord wasn't good. Are you coming because you're going to prophesy to us or is there some kind of an issue? And and they're they're a bit nervous. The the same way we would be if if, uh, you were working in the medical field and in the middle of the night at the nursing home, the inspector showed up at midnight. You'd be a bit nervous. And that's what, that's what this was. So verse 5 then, he says, I'm come peaceably. He said, I've come to sacrifice unto the Lord. So everybody prepare themselves and come to the sacrifice. And he got Jesse and his sons ready and called them. And, and it came to pass when he looked at Eliab, one of Jesse's sons, he said, surely this is the one that God has chosen. Now, this is how we operate. We look on the outward appearance and we say, yeah, you look like you make a good preacher. Yeah. But verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his countenance or the height of his stature because I've refused him. The Lord doesn't see as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So. It's not about the natural outward features of a person. Now, that's usually what we're looking at, and that's what we find attractive, whether we're hiring somebody or looking for somebody to marry. God's looking at the heart. 
He's looking at the inward character, the personality and the temperament of a person. But he tells Samuel, if you're going to go according to the outward appearance, you're going to be going to be wrong. Now, we don't need to do a show of hands, but but I would wonder how many of us at some time or some point in our life we have misjudged people's character. Maybe you chose somebody for a particular job or you asked somebody to do something for you only to discover afterwards like, oh, my God, this is a devil. How in the world did I ever misread this person? Everybody's done it. Sometimes you, you, you may, may have taken someone in your life to be a friend only to discover they never were friendly towards you at all. God gives us the remedy here in verse 7. He says that, that he is looking upon the heart. Now, that would make it a whole lot easier if you were hiring people and God would just show you what's inside somebody. Yeah. But, but you, you don't know. But Samuel, he's looking at these folks. And God says, it's, it's that I've refused him. So that means it's not that I haven't considered him. I've thought about him, but I've refused him. So sometimes God chooses the foolish people and things of this world to confound the wise because we honestly believe if there's going to be a promotion given on the job we ought to give the promotion to him or her because after all that person is going to really look like a good representative for us i saw that one time in our own ministerial organization they they were talking about somebody being on the board or somebody in some particular position and they were saying well this individual and he was a guy from a small town but he was an elderly guy and he was Real country in the sense that he, he, he didn't talk like someone who was um, who they thought would have been very educated and stuff like that. And so they said, well, we, we don't know if he'll be a good face for the ministry. Said if we're going to have to put stuff on posters and advertise in the magazine, we ought to have people that are going to look like what we want people to think we should be. I said, you've got to be out of your mind. I said, this man has been preaching for decades. Decades has won multitudes of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who cares if somebody isn't photogenic? The only thing I'm interested in, are they anointed? Is God operating through them? That is the most important thing. But the carnal person will look on the outward person and says, okay, they're handsome. That's the one you should use. God says it doesn't have anything to do with that. Be quite honest with you, God has never made anybody ugly anyhow. Scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's people that come up with these ideas of who's pretty, who's not, who's better, who's worse. So verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab. Now can you, can you imagine this? Samuel's got, he, he's got the family there, and one by one the family is coming before. Now you, you have to know Jesse is proud to be invited to the dinner. Okay. Now, he, I don't know how many other people came to the feast, but Jesse and them are special guests. So, you, so Jesse has to be proud as a peacock that his children are going to be seated there with, with, the, uh, with the prophet. And, and a few weeks ago, up in Red Cloud, Miss Laura Bush, she came over there. And so there were, there was this big deal, and they were trying to get people to spend this, this money on these tickets to be able to sit in on her speech that she's going to give for the Cather Foundation and everything. And, of course, I was asking, okay, who's at the table with her? That's what I was asking some of the people afterwards. They was naming different people, and I said, I bet you they were quite happy to be able to schmooze with her. 
and to sit at the table and rub shoulders with her. Jesse and his boys are sitting here with Samuel, the prophet of God, who is revered and honored. And one by one, the sons are passing before him. And I'm sure they're thinking something something great is about to happen. But every time they brought a boy in front of them, then that's when Mr. Samuel heard the Lord say in verse 8, the Lord hadn't chosen him either. So verse 9, Jesse made Shammah to pass by. Lord hadn't chose this one. Seven of his sons passed before Samuel, and the Lord said he had not chose any of these. So Samuel, in the beginning, was looking on the outward appearance. It's quite obvious that Jesse himself is thinking about the outward appearance, because the one that's going to be anointed is David, and he wasn't even invited. Think about it. So verse 11, Samuel said, Jesse? He said, I know you've got seven kids here, but don't you have any more? See, in, 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 in modern day parlance, John Brueggemann? Is this all of them? <laughs> See? And, and, and here in verse 11, I love what Jesse said. The, the youngest is not here. He's keeping the sheep. Wow. Didn't even bother to tell him. Just, just you stay back here and you, you handle the sheep. I brought the ones that I'm sure Samuel would have wanted to see. That's, and that's exactly what he did. And that very often is how we try to do it. That's, that's a form of manipulation. So if you know there's an opportunity for three people to be promoted and, and there's a possibility that you get to choose the ones that are going to be promoted, you just make sure the ones that you're not interested in receiving a promotion, that they're not in the room at the time. And that's exactly what, what, what Jesse did. And so he said to, to uh, Jesse in verse 11, he said, send and fetch him. We're not sitting down until he comes. Now, this is why I, I like the stories in the scripture when it comes to how God chooses who will do great deeds for him. Because when when the blessing is about to be given to someone, it's usually to someone we're not expecting. Remember when uh, Jacob wanted to bless Joseph's sons and the right hand in ancient Hebrew tradition is really the hand of blessing. So. It says that Joseph maneuvered his kids so that the oldest one would be right there near that right hand. And, and then when, when it came time for, 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 the, for the dad to lay his, his hands on them and to bless them, you know what the dad did? He did like this. He, he, put, he put the switch on them and gave the blessing to the one that he saw fit to give it to being the youngest. So I say that because God may choose you to do anything. And it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with geography. It has nothing to do with wealth. It has everything to do with his will and your heart. And any man or woman that will keep their heart in a position where God can use them and they'll be obedient, you should expect God to do great things with you. But if you're going to be rebellious and God has to kick you just to get you to do anything, then you're going to have problems like Saul had. Scripture says here, they sent and they brought David in verse 12. He was reddish, ruddy. That's the old English word for that. But he was of a beautiful countenance also. It's good to look upon. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him for this is the one. Samuel jumped up, grabbed that horn of oil. And I mean, he just doused him in it. That, that's what he did. 
in the midst of his brethren. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ experienced amongst his own brethren. I bet you the older brothers never could believe that David would be the one anointed by Samuel. The Gospel of John says when Jesus was anointed, his own brethren did not believe in him. That's what it says. The oil being a type of the Holy Spirit, because verse 14 says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Excuse me, verse 13, spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What happened when Jesus was anointed? Well, remember, he was in the water, the river with John the Baptist. Scripture says the spirit of God came down in the form of a dove. So the dove being a type of the Holy Spirit, just like the oil here being a type of the Holy Spirit. But from this moment forward, God's divine power and grace was there to help David in all his situations. When Saul was trying to kill him, he supernaturally escaped. The same way it says of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when they tried to kill him, he supernaturally escaped from those that tried to take his life. Until it came to that point when he realized that his hour had come. The prophet takes the youngest child, anoints him, and the Spirit of God comes upon him. The anointing is so important because it represents the presence of the Lord. For anybody, whether they sing, play an instrument, preach the gospel, anything in connection with a ministry of the Word of God, the anointing is so important. Very important. That touch of God, that favor of God. And you really don't appreciate the anointing that much until you have to deal with people who are not anointed. Yeah. Then you realize, okay, there really is a difference here. You, you can listen to some uh, people sing and you can tell these people really love God. Yeah, they really love God. And you can listen to some people preach, and, and then afterwards you wonder, who, who gave them a microphone or who gave them a call? Why, why are they doing this and tormenting everybody like this? You see, I've told you what Grandma used to say about the call of God. Some were called, some were sent, but a lot of them just got up and went. And it's true. You, you, you ask someone, What led them into a certain ministry? You'd be surprised the kind of answers that you get. So the spirit of the Lord came upon David in verse 14. Notice this. But the spirit of the Lord departed from who? From Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Oh, this is this is something now. Okay, so. With the spirit of the Lord coming upon David, David's going to have protective grace. Supernatural things are going to take place in his life. But at the same time that God is doing something great for David, what had been done for Saul is now going to be withdrawn. Because Saul's problem is, again, rebellion. He thinks he's smarter than God. The presence that at one time had been upon him because the oil had been poured upon him, that has been withdrawn now. And you can see there's something, something troubling here. That that is taking place. And it talks about an evil spirit. Now Saul became a very paranoid person. And and every time he looked around, he thought people were conspiring against him. He became so paranoid that not only did he want to kill David, but he was mad at his own son, thinking that his son loved David more than he loved his father. And he probably would have took his own son out had he had the opportunity. 
And this is what happens when when a, when a person has a a spirit that is troubling them, then very often they're going to become the kind of person who troubles other people. Now, What does Saul have in him? A lot of bitterness, a lot of unforgiveness. Let's go to Hebrews. Keep your finger here. We're coming back. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You'll find this. Find this quite interesting. Hebrews chapter 12. Notice verse 14. That's towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews 12. Look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. So there's a there's a root of bitterness that can develop inside the heart, inside the believer. And the the rootage or the root system of that bitterness can be so great that it stretches way out here and it and it takes in the, the anger that they have at what somebody did 20 years ago. And then the, the other tendril stretches out in another direction and it takes in the anger that it has towards somebody what they did yesterday. And, and, it, and it's sucking the life or the death out of that situation to the point that it's growing and developing inside somebody. And as the scripture says, it troubles them. And then it says many thereby are defiled because not only does it defile the individual, but it defiles the other people. The scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Unforgiving, bitter people normally spew that stuff out upon other people. And that's why when some people have gotten angry with you and screamed at you and cussed you out and called you all kinds of names and said things sometimes that are wrong, you, you just want to go and take a bath sometimes. You say, how, how can so much angst be inside of a person? It's because it's like the, the root system of a tree. It's been growing for a long time. This is not something that developed overnight. This has been developing for a very long period of time. And the scripture speaks about the defiling of many. And Saul was so angry and upset at the loss of his kingdom. And once he discovers that there's somebody else that's anointed, he's going to be as angry as Herod was when he found out there's another king born in Bethlehem. We'll kill anybody that we think is a rival for this for this throne. An evil spirit from the Lord that was troubling him. Now, I've met a lot of people who at one time in their life were doing good with God and got out of the will of God. And because they made some bad choices, then pretty soon they start turning on everybody. Just just turning on everybody. I've, I've seen that up close and and personal. Uh, persecuted people tend to persecute other people if they don't have any character. Angry people tend to get angry at other people. If they don't have any character. So this this man, Saul, was so bad off that in verse 15, Saul's servant said, behold, now an evil spirit uh, from from God troubles you. So they were strong enough and perceptive enough to recognize that there's an evil, eerie presence about you now that did not once that did not exist at one time or in former times. You ever seen anybody change like that? You ever seen somebody when they were a kid, they were just the sweetest, most wholesome person, but then they hit their teen years, personality change. By the time they become their 20s and 30s, who in the world is this? Yeah, 
Look at how many times people have gone out and murdered people, and then they get up in the trial, and then the parents say, well, well, well my, my son, he's really not a bad man. He, he, he's not a bad man. Well, as, as far as you know, he's always been good to you, but it's those 12 people he took an axe to. See, Their family members don't think he's that good. So there, there's always a group of people who, who see a side of a person that they say, is, is good and honorable, but it's that other side that we're worried about. And when you're dealing with people who have personality complexes, in one moment they're happy and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're joking, and the next moment they're sharpening a knife or loading a shotgun or just angry at somebody, you've got to be concerned. And Saul had that kind of a personality. Later on in, in, in the other chapters, you remember Saul, he, he would, when, when uh, he was going after David and he was inviting David to, to dinner, he was getting angry with David and he was throwing javelins at David. And then David went on the run for several years. And one time David found Saul and his men sleeping in a cave and Dave went, uh, David went over there and cut off a part of the, the skirt from Saul. Now he could have killed him. He could have killed him right there in that cave, but he didn't do it. And, so, and David went on uh, across the river, stood on the other side, and yelled to the people and said, Hey, hey, what kind of guards do you have over there that can't, can't take care of you? I was just over there, and I cut off a piece of your skirt. And, and then Saul realized he had been there. And you know what Saul said? Saul said, is, is, is that the voice of my son that I hear? Come on back home and have dinner with me, and, and I'll show you favor and we'll eat the fatted calf and have a good time yes please come on back with his fingers crossed you know this was Saul you know you you can guard your heart so that you never become like this you do not have to become a very bitter person if you can protect your heart and keep it from jealousy and realize that God will always anoint other people to do something for him. God will never just anoint one person. There will always be somebody else. This is a big kingdom he's involved with. So verse 16, he says, Let now the Lord command your servants which are before you to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon you, that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. So now we learn that music can drive away demonic presences. It can refresh the soul. If you really want to encourage yourself in the Lord and calm your spirit, put some worship music on. Put some worship music on in that house. Put some worship music on in the the car. Or play some instrumental music that's still worship music. Nevertheless, it still soothes soothes the soul. If if you don't believe that music is powerful, just find some... Find some old YouTube videos of different secular bands and then gospel bands and look at how different the crowds react to the people when they're singing. So I, I go back to my, my, my days in Marine Corps and there was a, a very popular guy in the 90s, early 90s, and his, his name was Kurt Cobain. And so he had this song, I'll never forget, it was called Smells Like Teen Spirit. And so I walked into my my room and I had several roommates then and, and I walked into that room and they playing that video and that thing is going and I'm looking at these cheerleaders and these little dresses and they got makeup on. It's put on the wrong way and 
And I mean, this is just weird music going on in the background and everybody's body slamming one another. I said, why in the world are you watching this demonic stuff in here? Oh, you're always being judgmental. You're right. This is demonic. You need to turn this stuff off. It'll mess you up. Well, in the end, that gentleman uh, who, who had wrote the song, he, he was obviously a very troubled person. Ended up taking, taking, taking his own life. But whenever I looked at those Marines and I looked at the crowds of people that were involved with that kind of stuff, there's a, there's a spirit or, or a kind of mentality that comes over them that, that was amazing to me. Going back in the 80s when uh, Black Sabbath was popular. Go back even further, Ozzy Osbourne, people up on stage and they're biting off a bat's head and all that kind of a thing. You see, or a bird's head or something like that. But all of this stuff, it drives people to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. But you put on some worship music, you have a totally different feeling amongst believers that are singing Amazing Grace or Shout to the Lord than you would ever have if you were at some concert and you were with people that didn't know God. Yeah, music is powerful. Believe me when I tell you. Music can lift your spirit or it can depress you. It can depress you. Yeah. When uh, some people get sad, they like to, now imagine this. Some people get sad and they like to listen to blues music. Really? It's called blues music for a reason. Since my baby left me, Okay, yeah, the world's falling apart. There's a reason for that. Well, here they said in verse 16, let's find someone who can play on a harp and, and, and it'll come to pass when that evil spirit is upon you, he'll play and you'll be well. So it's a, it can be a form of sickness where music can have a curative effect in your life. To put a smile on you. Okay, so I, I told you about what happened when we had our crusade here not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So p- pastor, pastor sitting there with, with his wife, and I mean, uh, mentally, I'm all geared up. Let's get into the presence of God. This is going to be powerful. I can't wait. We got all of these people in here, cowboys and their families and believers and sinners. and I mean, railroad, I got all kinds of people in there. And, and, and so my mind is geared toward, we're going to worship, we're going to praise God. And so we start off with, with a song that doesn't go in that direction at all. Now, I'm going to tell you, I almost got ill. Yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's a terrible thing. So verse 17, Saul said to his servant, provide me now a man that can play well. And, and bring him to me. At least Saul acknowledged he had a problem. Do you ever acknowledge that when you're bad off like that and sad, depressed, that you need to change the atmosphere? See? Change the atmosphere. Sometimes you need to go where you can just get into a totally different environment that's going to refresh your spirit rather than discourage you and depress you. If, 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 I, had, if I had personal problems where I felt like the adversary was attacking me in every direction. The one place that ought to be my refuge ought to be my home. Yeah. 
When I walk into that house, that's the one place I should be able to find peace. That's the one place I should be able to turn on the music. I should be able to turn on someone reading the scripture or someone teaching or preaching the word of God that's going to refresh me and make me feel stronger. I am not going to allow my home to become a prison where I'm not free. Don't let your car become that either. You're the, you're the controller of that. Saul said, give me somebody that, that can play. So he said, I've seen one of the sons of Jesse. Listen to this description. He's cunning in playing, a mighty valiant man and a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. That's the kind of musician you want playing for you any time of the day. Yeah. Somebody like this. I've, I've, had a, I've had talks with pastors before about musicians in churches, you know. And if, you, if, if you're going to do church, it, it just seems like you want to have a musician that knows God. Doesn't that make sense? It makes sense. seems like you want to have somebody that knows God. Somebody doesn't know God, that's, that doesn't seem like it's going to be too helpful. And then at the same time, you, if you're going to have somebody that can, is going to play the instrument, wouldn't it also be good to have somebody that knows how to play the instrument? It would be no good at all and would not be edifying for you at all if I came to any local church and decided I was going to lead the praise and worship on the piano. I may be cunning, but I'm not cunning in playing. And so music, when it's done the right way, is inspiring. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, pastor can go dump, did a dump, thump, thump, thump on on the piano, but that's not going to encourage anybody. Says he was a mighty man. He's not only a musician, but he's somebody that can fight. So Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David, your son, which is with the sheep. Now, Saul didn't even ask Jesse if he thought it'd be a good idea for David to come. He just said, I'm the king. You send him. Who's going to refuse him? They loaded down an animal, put on the animal all kinds of gifts, bread, wine, a goat, and they sent it along unto, unto Saul. Now, it's interesting to me that if, if God is going to select someone to do something for him, God ensures that everything's in place when he starts doing the choosing. He chose a man that not only would be a good king and had a good heart, but he also chose a man that understood worship and he understood warfare. Yeah. He was a man that was not afraid to not only praise God, but also to fight for God. That, that kind of a person. That, that's a different kind of a guy. David came to Saul. He wasn't angry. He didn't rebel against Saul. He stood before him. And notice it said he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. David had instant favor in the presence of the king because of how he conducted himself. We should be that way. In every church I've ever been a part of, every church where I've ever served on staff as a minister, I can go back to that church to this day and they'll have me in a pulpit to preach. Because even when I left and I departed, I left and I departed the right way. Instant favor. And that is what you want in your Christian life and even, even on your jobs. I, I tell young people, look, if you're going to switch jobs, at least somewhat try to be cordial about it if you can, to the best of your ability. I mean, you can't always, depending on who 
who's in charge. Some people just have bad attitudes. But, you know, if you know you're going to another job, you don't have to just walk in there and tell the boss, I've taken another job. And he says, when are you leaving? He said, right now. I mean, that's not helpful to him, you see. But this man, David, comes and stands before for Saul, and he has employment for him as a musician, and he's going to be the musician, and now he's also the armor bearer, but he's anointed to be king. So this tells you another thing. God can prophesy to you or promise you that you're going to do something great for him, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to start out automatically at the top. You start off down here, you're going to, you're going to clean the toilets, and you're going to sweep the floor as God promotes you and puts you in place. Because even though God may do something great with you in the future, he still has people that are in positions in the present, and he has got to maneuver those people out of the way. Or I should say they're going to move themselves out of the way because of their own sin. Sometimes God has to cut down big trees so that little trees can become big trees. It's a matter of humility. And if you wait on God, God will provide blessing for you. You don't have to exalt yourself. You don't have to try to put yourself forward. You can be quiet and silent in the midst of a whole lot of people. And and, and just like cream rising to the top, the Lord will make sure that you also are promoted. Because if nobody else sees your good deeds and sees your work behind the scenes, God does. Yeah. Sometimes we want the, the, the pat on the back that ought to come from being faithful. But let's never forget what the Lord said through Paul, that, that God is not unjust to forget your work of faith. God's not unrighteous to forget your, your, your work of faith. He sees exactly what you're doing, all your labor. So Saul sent to Jesse and said, let your son stand before me, for he's found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when that evil spirit from God came upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. And Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So the presence of one man in the palace brought health and healing to the king. All because he knew how to play an instrument. One man or woman can bring a blessing into your home, or one man or woman can bring a curse into your home. This all depends on their temperament and their personality. The person who walks with God and carries the presence of the Spirit of God brings the Spirit of God with them when they come to your home. The person who doesn't know God walks in evil. They bring that when they come to your home. I've been around people, and I, folks I've never known, and when I reached out to shake their hand, immediately I knew I was dealing with somebody that was evil because I was grieved in my inside. Immediately when I shook their hand, I know this is a person who's unclean, is a person that is wicked. And sometimes you'll find that that the people who, who move in darkness and move in wickedness like that, they carry that over them. It's like a spiritual cloud. But Christians, we're anointed by God. Now let me give you just one more scripture. Go to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 10. If you don't know this verse, you ought to learn this one. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And this is talking about our Lord. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now this is what God is doing with the anointing. The anointing is for doing good, for healing people that are oppressed, and for helping folks. That's, that's what the anointing is about. To be a Christian is to be anointed. That's 1 first, uh, 
1 Corinthians, I believe, where it says that the one who establishes us, establishes us and anoints us is God. So the Christian is anointed with the spiritual oil of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't even say in verse 38, Jesus knew anything about how to play an instrument. So he wasn't refreshing anybody's spirit by playing a harp like David was. But Jesus was simply going about preaching and proclaiming the word of God. And the scripture says God was with him. That's our role. To liberate folks. Bring deliverance to people. Not to depress people. But put a smile on people's face. And, and God wants us to be free so that we can free other, other people. It breaks my heart to see people move away from God, go in the opposite direction, you know. But I've seen this happen too many times. I knew a preacher one time. I'd go to different places and on the West Coast, and he'd be in my meetings, and he, he had a big family, and he, he brought in a bunch of foster kids he's taking care of. And, and then little by little, it started coming out that the, the marriage wasn't happening. People couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and then... When, when the marriage fell apart, then the story started coming out that some of the kids were abused. And, and then by the time this, this whole thing was over, he's in jail. And, and it was multiple, multiple situations where the kids had been abused by this, uh, this man who had been a preacher, been a pastor. See, been a pastor. Now, where, where, did he, where did he go wrong? At some point, he had to be on track. I can tell you where he went wrong. He, he started looking at one, one of those pretty little girls that was in his house. And then before you know it, he, he got his eyes on that foster daughter. And then pretty soon it wasn't a look anymore. Then it was a reach and a grab. And then there was a relationship. And then it all fell apart. All fell apart. And, and, and these kind of situations happen over and over again. In, in some of the camp meetings I used to preach, there was a, a gentleman. He, he may have been one of the best singers and piano players that I had heard in, in, a, in a long time, over a decade ago. And, and this man got caught up in sin and, and ended up in prison, went to jail because of bad stuff. And the, when, one of the other times I was out preaching and I asked one of my pastor friends, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, he said, Brother Darrell, it's not a good thing at all. So what happened to him? He said, well, he ended up in jail and, and in jail he ended up becoming a, uh, one of those, those guys that the men in there abuse. And he's out of jail now, but he's a male prostitute. Here's somebody who used to be anointed to sing, see, to preach. But there's a turn that comes. How can a man like Saul be anointed by Samuel, have become king under some of the most supernatural circumstances ever recorded in Scripture? Just read the story of how God selected Saul. But at the end of his life, he's going to a witch. Going to a witch. It's because once you get off track and you start moving in that other direction, you start getting angry at people that really know God and you start rejecting any kind of counsel that comes from people that know God and you get to where you have a deaf ear to people that want to talk to you. So folks, remember the anointing of David. It would have never occurred had it not been for Saul's rebellion. My rebellion and your rebellion will make it possible probable, likely, that somebody else will have to do what you do one day. Yeah, that's what will happen. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We're, we're grateful that we can look at David's life. There's so much to learn 
from this young man that was chosen by you to be not only a soldier, but a musician. God, we need anointed people in the kingdom of God. We've got so many folks doing so many things. Sometimes they don't even know you. But God, we pray that you help each one of us to be mature, be strong in what we believe, and walk closely with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.